Today we're going to start a new four-week sermon series entitled The Heart of Worship at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church. For as we head into the uh, new year, it's very important for us as individuals and as a congregation to be sure that we are worshiping Jesus in spirit and in truth. So I'm going to preach today on the importance of the Word of God. Dr. Weldon will preach next week on the sacraments and again the following week on the priority of worship. And then the last Sunday of the month, Mark Rattray is going to preach on the different elements of worship. So that's being said, let's look at our passage before us this morning. Psalm 1 beginning in verse 1. Remember, this is the Word of God. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff. That the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask for your spirit to teach us glorious truths in this portion of your gospel. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. You know, the new year always brings hope for new beginnings. This morning, the next service, we're going to be installing new officers. We're going to have new tasks to help grow God's kingdom. There's New Year's sales going on at the mall. New classes to be taken at school. I know that all the kids are excited about going back to school. Uh, We're soon going to have a new president in our country. Everywhere you turn, the word new seems to be appearing. We're starting our New Year's resolutions, things that we think we ought to be doing or maybe doing better. Maybe we think we should be eating better or working out more or clean the house more often or never fall behind on our homework. Maybe your resolution is to be a better employer, or a better employee. Maybe you want to be a better spouse or a better student. Maybe your resolutions are like some of the celebrities that I saw in the paper on Friday. Britney Spears has the resolution of, I'd like to stop worrying so much because I worry all the time and learn to be happier just in general. And to stop biting my nails. Cameron Diaz wants to stop smoking and stop shopping. Carmen Electra, her, her New Year's resolution is, wants well, to have more fun. I was just with Jenny McCarthy, that great philosopher, Jenny McCarthy, uh, not too long ago, and she said, Carmen, life is supposed to be fun. And I remembered that, and it stayed in my head, and that is my goal. 
There's some other great New Year's resolutions. I don't have time to read them all to you this morning. Assuming your resolution is deeper than to just have fun, or even if you don't make resolutions at all, what we're going to talk about and look at this morning is going to help you. For what we studied today is literally life-changing. As we start the sermon series, The Heart of Worship, at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church, I know of no better place to start than the study of God's Word. You see, as individuals, our daily studying of God's Word is essential to our growth as Christians. Beyond that, our growth as a body of believers here is founded on the principle that God's Word is true. Beyond that, we believe what the Apostle Paul told to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17 is vitally important. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is an essential foundation for us here at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church. God's word is true. And it's essential that we study as individuals, and it's essential that it's proclaimed from this very pulpit each week clearly and accurately. The Word of God is the foundation for the ongoing ministry here at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church. But as you can tell from the initial reading of our text, not everyone claims this truth. We see in this psalm the clear dichotomy between the person who accepts God's word as truth, and the one who rejects it as truth. We live in a world which cries out there is no such thing as truth. Yet God proclaims his very word as being true. So as we start our new year, as we start our new sermon series, as our new officers start their new responsibilities, the way we treat God's word is foundational to a successful new year. This particular text is straightforward. There is the right way or there's the wrong way. There is no middle ground. We read this psalm and we're forced to make a decision one way or the other. That being said, let's go to our text and see what God has to say about his word. Verse 1 begins with, Blessed is the man. Psalm 1 introduces us to the way which we may find happiness and fulfillment in life. The psalmist is going to tell us who the blessed person is. Who is the person who enjoys God's hand the most on his or her life? The word he uses is blessed, which later is picked up by Jesus in the Beatitudes. And some translate that word as as meaning happy. But, you know, the problem with happy is is that that so often is related to how our our circumstances are going. That's probably not the best word to use. So we're going to use uh, the paraphrase that my friend and mentor John Batusik used to use. And that's joyfully satisfied. Because when God blesses us, we are truly joyfully satisfied. So the first thing to note is the blessed person is joyfully satisfied. Now, we'd probably expect that 
we'd hear a positive description of such a person. But that's not how the psalmist begins. Notice he says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. Now, why does he begin with a negative picture? Well, before we can say what the good way is, we need to know and have a grasp of what it is not. The writer is going to show us the way the typical person chooses. That is, they choose his or her own way. The first verse really has a progression of warning to it that that I want us to make sure we all grab hold of this morning. Notice it starts with listening to the counsel of the ungodly as one walks along. Listening to the way that the world thinks. Accepting the world's advice and the world's view on different things. Then the person stops to stand with them. The person adopts the world's ways. Their behavior becomes like the world's behavior. Finally, that person takes a seat with them because of his or her thinking and behavior. They feel that they now actually belong. And they adapt to its most dangerous attitude. They become scoffers at the truth. The divine truth given to us by our loving God. Even if it's not open scoffing, we're deluded into thinking that the word of God may not be important in our lives or that it's just not even necessary, that maybe it's not relevant, and that we, like everybody else, can just go on living without it. You know, the logical caution that comes to mind is that we want to be really careful because we're quickly attracted to whatever we begin to pursue. It seems to be a good way, a fun way, an easy way. You know, often Frank Sinatra would be proud of it because it's my own way. You know, I'll do it my way. It's a fast lane to, to earthly happiness, we think sometimes. But as the writer of Proverbs says, there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. By contrast, now he describes in verse 2 the blessed life, that is, uh, what it is. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on the law he meditates day and night. The joyfully satisfied life is one in which the person finds delight in God's word. He spends time reading it, thinking about it, meditating on his very word. Now, how does a mind that's so naturally hostile to God find delight in God's law? John Stott suggests that this delight indicates a person has been born again. God has regenerated a person's heart in order to embrace the truth of God and to delight in his law. James Boyce says, The contrast we find here is between those who love sin and follow its ways and those who love God and seek to follow his way. We should delight in the word of God 
because it reveals to us the very thoughts of God and tells us about his glory. You know, it's a, it's a privilege to read the words that God descri- of the words of how God describes himself and his ways. And he uses those to, in our hearts and our minds to be directed to think about God. You know, almost everything in life we buy comes with some sort of instruction manual or brochure. You know, many times you try not to read the manuals or the, the brochures because we just we don't want to we just don't want to be bothered. But eventually something comes up and, and we feel like, well, I guess now I need to, to look to. But you know, our life comes with the instruction manual also, and it's it's the very word of God. And we should not put it aside and we should not want to engage in reading it. You know, not just any book will do. We must read God's Word. My refrigerator is broken. I don't go and get the manual for the dishwasher. That wouldn't do me any good. Often the book for the refrigerator doesn't do me any good anyway. But, but I would know that I need to get the right book. And that would be the instruction book on the refrigerator, not the one for the dishwasher. Life works better when we read the right book because it's the book that tells us about our Creator and who He is. The second thing I want us to consider is the blessed person is the person who meditates on God's Word. Now, what does it mean to say that we meditate on God's Word? Well, the real meaning in the Hebrew... Uh, carries the idea of of chatter or, or maybe even murmuring. Meditation is talking. It's conversation with God. Yes, it's worship and it's quiet praise, but it also might be struggle and argument. In, in meditation, we hear God in his word, And we talk back to him. Meditation happens morning and night. Everything we confront day to day causes us to take new questions back to God. All of our failures and our successes and our experiences, we take back to God to understand by the light of his word. We don't interpret God through the lens of our experiences. We interpret our experiences through the lens of God's word. Let me say that again because that's vitally important that we all understand that. We do not interpret God's word through the lens of our experiences. We interpret our experiences through the lens of God's word. That's not easy to do. In fact, that type of meditation, it's work. It involves thinking about the Word of God. It may involve serious discussions with God. It may mean wrestling with God. It may mean mulling things over, not just for a few minutes in the morning as we have a quick cup of coffee, but throughout the day, maybe even throughout the week 
or the months, or maybe even years. In meditation, we confront the text of the scripture. What does this text mean to me? What does Jesus really mean when he says this? How do I relate this passage to my situation? What perspective of life or what personal behavior does this ask me to change? What does it say about issues in my community? About racism or housing or education or global missions? The goal of meditation upon the law of the Lord is that we know and we love God and that we live a life of faith in him in the midst of this pagan society. The goal is that we will be transformed by God's word. The result is that we are increasingly able to be what God calls us to be, to be the men and women that God wants us to be. Real knowledge of and relationship with God comes only when we're willing to meditate on the very word of God. Now, God isn't who we just want him to be. Who He is who he is. And we need to find out who he is by studying his very word. You know, Psalm 1 does not say, Blessed is the man who attends multiple Bible studies every week who listens to Christian radio constantly, who plays Christian CDs all the time, and who belongs to the Christian book club. Now, we can do all those things, and there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But that's not what brings the real blessing in our life. That's not what brings joyful satisfaction. We live in a day that, as Christians, we've never had so many resources, and yet we're so little grounded. Here at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church, we are committed to helping people joyfully know Jesus Christ, love him more, and serve him better. And part of serving him better is being people who are willing to fulfill the Great Commission. The more you are in the Word of God, the more you'll be equipped to fulfill your calling as Christians. The challenge we have is to be truly rooted and grounded in the word of God. It's our own responsibility, and we must stop making excuses for our lack of discipline. You know, those excuses like we don't have long attention spans, or we're not academic, or we can't sit still, or we don't get anything out of it. Or whatever it is we might come up for a lack of discipline. It's time we stop making excuses for our wrong priorities. Excuses like we don't have time. Or we don't have the energy to grapple with God and study his very word. That is why this morning in your worship guide you have that, that study guide to help you. That you can take that and, and over the next two years. It's a two year plan. There's others available out there. There's one-year plans, there's three-year plans, and we just chose the two-year plan. 
but it's, it's, to, it's a tool for you to help you be disciplined and, and make it a priority to spend time in God's word every day. Now, I know that you can do this. Some of you think, I don't know that I can do that every day. My son, Scott, when he was 12, with three of his other buddies, decided they wanted to read all the way through the Bible. So on January 1st of 2006, they started. And on New Year's Eve, uh, just a couple days ago, they finished a three-year read-through-the-Bible plan. He started when he was 12, and he's already started now this two-year plan. So I, I feel confident that you can do this. Every Christian has a personal responsibility and duty to spend time meditating upon the Word of God on a regular basis. Not to do this is not to be blessed by God, and it's not to be fruitful, which brings us to verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The third thing for us to consider is the blessed person is the person who bears fruit and who prospers. The psalmist wants us to see that the life of the godly is like a tree that's bearing fruit, not like a laborer who's just picking fruit. All right, here's the picture for the Christian life. There are streams of water. This is the life of God flowing through the word of God. You are planted there by God's sovereign grace. Your roots reach the water of life that makes your leaves green during the drought and makes you fruitful when others may actually be barren. The root system is not mechanical. It's not automatic. The roots work by meditation. That is, by giving attention and thought to the very word of God. Meditation on God's word is the way the roots touch the water. The result is joyful satisfaction in what we see of God, what we see of man, and what we see in our life. And from this joyful satisfaction comes all kinds of changed attitudes and changed behaviors. The battle to avoid the counsel of the wicked and the way of the sinner and the seat of the scoffer, the battle to be righteous and holy and to be humble, is a fight that is won by joyful satisfaction. And that joy is nourished through the meditating on God's word. Both day and night, week after week. When we do this, what we do, we will prosper. And the prosperity, prosperity here does not refer to financial prosperity. It refers to the blessing of being in a relationship with the covenant God, with the one who watches over us and who provides for us, who, who meets our, our needs by giving us our daily bread. He meets our spiritual needs, for he forgives us our sins day by day based on the finished work of Jesus on the cross. When we delight ourselves in the word of God, when we meditate on it 
day and night. We are changed people. The Spirit transforms us, both our hearts and our minds. We begin to have wise and godly attitudes and make wise and godly choices. And we start to become fruitful, just like our Savior. Let's not forget that the reason we attend Bible studies and we read Christian books is not for the purpose that we will be full. That's good if we're full, but that's not the ultimate goal is to be full. We do these things so that we'll be overflowing to the culture in which we live. The fruit on the tree is there for others to eat, not just to grow ripe and to fall on the ground and to be kicked aside. Read and grow in the word of God, and then with the knowledge you have gained, engage others with the hope of the gospel. We're not called to survive this culture. We are called to transform the culture that we live in. Once again, we do that by being men and women of the Word of God. You know, everyone wishes each other a happy and prosperous new year. Right here in our text this morning, we're told to be truly happy, that is, joyfully satisfied, and to be prosperous, we need to be men and women of the Word of God. For any other way different than being uh, men and women of the Word of God will lead us to destruction. So let's quickly look at the rest of the psalm. Not so, picking up in verse 4, not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, obviously, the blessed person does not want to be chaff. The psalmist's metaphor here for the, for the wicked is, is the word chaff. That's the outer part of the grain which separates at the time of, of threshing. Uh, the husk and grasses which, which fall and, and are blown away. That's why whenever they uh, had the, the threshing floors at harvest time, they always put them on top of the hill so that the wind would come and just pick up that stuff that was no good and would just blow it away because it was totally useless. You know, that's the James Boyce calls this chaff picture the futile, empty, worthless life of the godless, as well as their inevitable judgment. And that's pretty strong words. Now that's what the psalmist calls the one who is wicked, the one who does not delight in the word of God. As we start this new year, as the new officers start their new responsibilities, as we even start this new sermon series, we are cautioned not to be like chaff. Chaff is worthless, and it's easily blown away. This psalm clearly makes the point of what the final results of choosing are. Ultimately, whether we have wicked hearts or a heart relationship with God, is seen only at judgment. God sets his favor upon the righteous, but the way of the wicked 
leads nowhere. Psalm 1 calls for a decision between what Ray Ortland calls glad allegiance to God's word and the easy, unreasoning, conformist twilight of worldliness. You know, his ways are not merely a, a form of obligation. They are a delight. Psalm 1 warns us against lingering in the dimly lit world of, of compromise, though. Once again, these are two roads here, and, and the decision has to be made. Psalm 1 offers us the friendship, the nearness, the favor of the God who knows the way of the righteous. As we talk about the heart of worship here at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church, we talk about the vital role of the Word of God in our daily lives. From, the, from this particular pulpit, we need to understand all of God's Word tells us more about who Jesus is and how we are supposed to be responding to Him. That's why you'll always hear the gospel proclaimed from behind this pulpit. There, for there's nothing else to preach but Jesus and his glorious gospel. The word righteous in verse 6 presses us forward to Christ as our righteousness. The Lord watches over, it says, or, or maybe better translated, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked will perish. So only the righteous will survive the judgment in the end. But who is righteous? Psalm 14 tells us they have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who are righteous. Not even one. Psalm 103. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? The answer is no one could stand but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared blessed blessed is the man against whom the lord counts no iniquity so the righteous are the sinful who can somehow be counted as righteous when they are not righteous in themselves well how can this be how can a holy and righteous God not mark iniquity? How can a holy and righteous God not count sin? How can he not require perfect righteousness for his perfect heaven? Well, the answer is God does mark iniquity, and he does count sin, and he does require perfect righteousness. And that's why this psalm, with all of God's word, leads us to Christ, who was wounded for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. God did not count our sin. God did count our sin, but he punished it in Christ. He does require righteousness, and it's found only in Jesus Christ. So it's very important that we understand that our sin is counted, and that it's counted in Jesus. And he bared the penalty for our sin. 
Praise be to God. In Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland, you may remember that at one point, Alice comes to a fork in the road, and she's just not certain at all which way she should go. So she turns to the Cheshire cat who's sitting there observing her, and they begin to have this conversation. She says, would you tell me, please, which way I ought to go? The cat says, well, that depends a good deal on where you want to get to. Alice responds, I don't much care where. To which the cat replies, then it doesn't matter which way you go. You know, a lot of people live that way, uncertain about where life is taking them, not really caring, just living for the moment. Then, you know, it really doesn't matter which way they go. But God offers us so much more. He offers us joyful satisfaction. It starts with the relationship with the only person who ever lived Psalm 1 completely right. That's Jesus Christ. And knowing that you and I could not keep Psalm 1 completely, he did it for us so that he could die for our sin and for our inabilities and to give us his perfect record of Psalm 1. The blessed life begins when we place our trust in Jesus as our Savior. This gospel truth is part of the the living water that flows the roots of our lives. This is the part of what we meditate on day and night as we read and meditate on God's word. This is the source of our joyful satisfaction and our prosperity. So which way will you live? The life of the blessed, blessed man who is joyfully satisfied in Jesus, Jesus, or the life of the wicked who's like chaff. You know, your, your, your answer is eternally important because after verse 6, the two ways part forever. Let's pray together. Lord, as we Think about the truth of your word. We ask for the power of your spirit to work in our hearts and minds. Lord, will you encourage us to be men and women who want to seek after you, who want to know you better, who want to know your word. Lord, we thank you for this time of worship. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.